travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia. This is episode number 20, Paddling Thailand's Southwest Coast. This is Trevor Ranges here in Bangkok, Thailand, joined with my co-host Scott Hope, Scott Coates. Sorry about that, Scott. Where are you, where are you talking to us from tonight? Scott Coates is in his condo in Kuala Lumpur, as per most of the time, and doing very well. Thanks. Cool. So, uh, are you excited for today's episode? Yeah, yeah. You know, I paddling is something I've enjoyed when I've been at the beach, especially in Thailand. And if there's a kayak for rent, I'll, you know, grab one usually for an hour or two. They're just generally kind of, they're probably plastic, I think. And you just sit on top. I always think they're kind of like Fisher Price, my first kayak. I mean, it costs like five bucks an hour to rent one of these things. And as long as the, the sea's calm, it's fun. It's good exercise, gets you up and close person with the area. And especially places like in Aonangkabi or Riley Bay, it's just super fun to do. So I've enjoyed jumping on them and kind of toyed in my mind with, you know, multi-day trip before, but never actually done it. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Yeah. My experiences I think are, are somewhat similar to yours. Um, when I'm, when I'm working doing the travel writing thing, uh, and I'm at the beach, I'll rent a kayak to explore some nearby islands or go and try and discover some beaches down the coast that I don't think are possible to get to by land. Um, and then, of course, back in Hawaii, when I'm home, uh, we take kayaks out to the Mokalua Islands off Lani Kai. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, and for work, again, I've done some day trips. Uh, I've done a couple in Muangtong National Marine Park uh, near Kot Samui. But I, too, have never done any sort of overnight or multi-day kayak excursion. Um, and there's a couple that I've really wanted to do. Uh, one is the Nepali coast over on the Hawaiian Ooh. island of Hawaii. Yeah, and another one similar to that is uh, Abel Tasman National Park on the north coast of the South wow. Island in New Zealand. I think those are kind of dream kayaking adventures of mine. Yeah, I'd love to do a multi-day trip. And years ago when I was down in Aonangkabi area, I had gotten very, very close to like a three-day, two-night trip on our own. We were going to paddle out to Kohong Islands. But really the longest one I think I've ever done is like two or three hours in a kayak. Once I paddled out to Kokai or Chicken Island off of Aonang. And I think it took like an hour and a half or something like that to get out there. But just in that hour and a half, I got sunstroke. I was an absolute mess for days after that. And then uh, in southwestern Cambodia, I've done a paddle there, but I've never, you know, I've never really done a really long one. I've paddled on the Mekong River up in uh, Shangkong area. That's a couple hours at a time. But yeah, I mean, I would absolutely love to, to do a longer one. Yeah, that's a good point. There's some pretty cool uh, river kayaking. I've, I've done some kayaking up uh, outside of Luang Prabang in Laos. And maybe for an upcoming episode, we could get somebody on to talk about doing some river kayaks. Because uh, you mentioned that Four Rivers Floating Lodge, who's our sponsor this week. And I know that there's some cool little day trip uh, kayaking excursions you can do from there, yeah? 
Yeah, and actually Four Rivers, again, is our sponsor for this. Thank you very much. So they're in the Tatai region of southwestern Cambodia. You stay in luxury kind of permanent tented floating tents that are really luxurious. But they have kayaks, like literally in front of the tents. So you can just grab them, go up and down river around a little island there. But one of the nicer trips I did, I put a kayak on one of their boats up to the Tatai waterfalls. And then I paddled all the way back to the tent. And I think that took me about two hours. But yeah, it's pretty special. You know, it's just thick, lush, on either side and barely anyone out there so a big thank you to four rivers floating lodge for sponsoring this episode yeah thanks uh so why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest today our guest today is Ian Taylor. He's a Canadian, and I met him, strangely enough, in Bangkok a few years ago, where he lives for a good portion of the year. Uh, we actually share a common professor along with Trevor, and that was actually the reason we first met up. Ian's best known as being a professional photographer, but he's also an accomplished paddler, and that's what he's here to talk with us about today. And in fact, he's kayaked Thailand's southwest coast from near to the border with Myanmar to the southern border that Thailand shares with Myanmar, and he's going to share some of that journey with us today. So thanks so much for joining us, Ian. Ah, my pleasure to be here. Just add, it's Myanmar to, to Malaysia. That's the, the trip we did. Myanmar so, to Malaysia. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So where are you now? I'm in Bangkok, Thailand, at my condo. How often How often do you stay in, in Bangkok? Are you here predominantly? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a migratory nomadic photographer, but I, I, I you know, I moved to this... About 100 meters from here, I moved here in 1994, and then I went to Cambodia for about six, seven years, and then, uh, but the last four or five years I've been here, but I'm maybe here four months a year, I would say, the rest of the time I'm off shooting or doing whatever, paddling. Cool. So when did you even first come over to Asia, and what brought you here? Uh, I was working in the film industry uh, about, you know, over 20 years ago, and um, in Canada, in Toronto, and I came, started coming to Thailand, and I started studying Thai, and... Uh, then I did this, the the Capilano grad program that, you know, our common prof, Scott McLeod, and that was 93, right. 94, and I came here on the co-op year in 1994. But then I went straight, basically went straight to Phnom Penh and stayed there till 2000. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been kind of all over the place since then. And so what sort of work were you doing in Phnom Penh and so forth? First went over to work with the trading company, but that lasted like, kind of minutes and I ended up as the business manager of the Cambodia daily newspaper and I stayed oh, and I nice. stayed with the daily until 96 and still a lot of my Asia gang a huge number of my Asia gang actually are all the daily crowd from the 90s then I went to work for J Walter Thompson advertising they hired me uh, to start up the Cambodia you know this is kind of in the Asia boom years before the crash of uh, you know 97 and um you know, handling their big, you know, there was a lot of clients in those days, Shell and uh, Kodak, Unilever, all these kind of clients. So I looked after Cambodia and I, nominally Laos and uh, Burma, spent a lot of time in Vietnam working and had an office in Bangkok all those years too. So I was back and forth. So, you know, I, I put in my, you know, I came mid 90s and uh, had a great time. I, I wasn't really looking for any kind of uh, professional thing. I just wanted to have an adventure. And uh, cool. started getting the photography at that time. But it was still, you know, not until the late sort of 2007 that I discovered paddling. Huh. And where did you first do uh, your paddling here in Asia? I was just on a, like a liveaboard. We were up in the Murgway Archipelago in, uh, in Myanmar. I just got one of those little 
those little sit on top kayaks and went into this huge mangrove system. And I was like, just that enough. And then our, we had this amazing uh, guide, this French guy who has done, you know, had paddled from Juneau to Vancouver a couple times by himself. And I, and he told me that and I went, that's it. I'm going to buy a kayak. And so I bought a kayak right away, but I bought a plastic kayak and you know, with a plastic kayak, you can't really go anywhere. So it wasn't until a couple of years later that my friend Tim Morch, who is also from my hometown in uh, Prince Edward County, Ontario, uh, Picton, um, who was an ocean guy his entire life, we just hotched up this plan that we should buy these folding kayaks and then just sort of see what happened there. So, you know, and I guess it was not till 2010, we bought those uh, folding kayaks. And that's really when, uh, you know, we started having these little longer paddles. So just to back up, two quick questions. Sorry, when when did you first, what year did you first start getting into paddling? That's the first one. And then part two, why can't you really go anywhere on the plastic kayaks? Well, I got into kayaking, I guess, around, um, it would have been 2008 or 2007, I guess. And the little one I bought, yeah, 2007. Well, the plastic kayaks, because you can't go any, I mean, they're a huge thing, you know. And, and so here, to kind of paddle somewhere... Uh, if you're going to go A to B, you have to have some way to get your kayak back from B to A, which is a huge hassle. While these folding kayaks, you know, you just put it together. It's a skin-on frame, so it's actually what like an Eskimo kayak would be. It's a, you know, a skin over a rigid frame, but they're very bendable and they kind of give. And at the end of your trip, you can just take it apart, put it on a bus or whatever, and uh, come home. It's... I can't even conceive of having a, a plastic kayak now. It just doesn't seem, uh, you know, you're just limited to where you yeah, can when, take when it you, in the car. When you first mentioned it, I was thinking that you, you would have this big plastic kayak in your home in, in Bangkok and it would make a great conversation piece or possibly a coffee table, but I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. imagine how you'd get it anywhere. Exactly. I mean, there's a, you know, it, it's kind of a subset of kayaking are these these folding kayaks, but you realize once you have one of these things, you can just go anywhere. I mean, Tim and I, we've kayaked down the coast of Palawan, um, just can come in and come out wherever we want. And, uh, you know, they take a bit more maintenance and uh, they're expensive to start up. The startup for this kind mm-hmm. of thing is a little bit pricey and you got to get all the camping gear and that. But once you have everything, you know, you start looking at maps and you don't really see roads, you see water. Cool, cool. So what does it cost? to to get into a, a folding kayak well i mean you know the prices are all over the place there's a few manufacturers i mean we have feathercraft which are kind of the uh you know they're kind of the cadillac of of uh folding kayaks we kind of have a mid-range one called the whisper right. xp but but uh they start around three grand i guess something like that they go up to seven for Ooh. a big one but we have kind of a mid-range one but then you have to get you know you need two paddles, obviously. Anybody that goes out in the ocean with one paddle is, you know, that's kind of Darwinism. <laughs> so we we uh, we each have two paddles. Those paddles are five hundred bucks each. You have, you know, you have to have. We use this uh, Hennessy hammock system, which is these kind of a hammock tent mm-hmm. for camping, and uh, we both have one of those. And you know, once you get into all the stuff and. Uh, for kayaking because it's not like canoeing you know we're canadians we, we grow up canoeing and you can throw everything in the canoe but with a kayak space is like so limited especially we're not we're we're doing 
you know, kind of one month trips with kayaks that are meant for kind of like three or four day trips. So uh, packing is very tricky and we don't want to, we don't pack stuff up on our, on our decks, you know. So it seems to me that in addition to being a somewhat accomplished waterman and understanding the, the oceans and, and investing in a decent uh, kayak, you also need to have some pretty decent camping skills, yeah? Yeah, well, you know what? I'm not much of an ocean. I didn't discover the ocean until my 40s. And, and I was, uh, I had left camping a long way behind. But luckily, you know, my buddy Tim, who we, you know, we kind of grew up together, uh, he's just Mr. Ocean and he's a, He's just been living out of a tent his entire life. So, so, you know, he's the man. I mean, I've come a long way in the, like the last five or six years since we started doing these things. But, you know, I'm still, I still haven't gone out there by myself. Let's put it that way. Well, what made you even decide to do this trip along the southwestern stretch of Thailand? How did you conceive of this thing? Actually, uh, Tim Morch and I were sitting, because, you know, we he hangs out on Koh Phayam in Renong for half the year. And I go down there for a month or, you know, or so every year. And you know, one day we were just sitting on sitting on the beach, and he goes, "You know, we could kayak to Malaysia from here." I was like, "No way! Yeah, we could, but we need these folding kayaks." We knew that, so we said, "Okay, you get one, I'll get one." So we both took off for the year. He goes back to Canada and works, and you know, I was running around. But we both bought those kayaks. You know, so you're sitting there. The nearest islands you can see are all Burma. It's all the islands of Burma. And to, and to think it was just kind of mind-boggling. You could kayak to Malaysia from there, you know, and. Uh, a year later, not even a year, I was like, but eight months from when we had that conversation, we were setting off from that same beach. Wow. That first time, uh, we didn't have the food sorted out. So we were eating. I didn't think we were getting great nutrition. I got sick halfway. Um, I, had to, I had to pull out lame at like uh, Krabi after about 300, well, 250K, something like 300K, something like that. They told me I had no platelets. Like I had, well, I was told I had dengue. I didn't, but I had something super, super nasty. And so the first trip didn't work. And the next year we went to Philippines to paddle for January, uh, December, January. And then the, uh, it wasn't until the following year, so 2012, that we made it from that beach to the, you know, basically to the bottom of Kotaratau. So we were like just a few miles from, uh, Langawi, you know, you're right there, Langawi. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, see, that's why I asked my question earlier about like water skills and camping skills. Because while if you travel down the west coast of Thailand, there are a number of kind of touristy areas where you might be able to stop and get some decently cooked food. I, I just assumed you were going to have to to fish and and cook your own food on a campfire as you went along the way. Yeah, well, you know, it's always a plan to go fishing, but you really can't rely on it, and. Um, we have our spots now um, where we can know we can get a great home-cooked Thai meal. But for the most part, um, yeah, the food is tricky. So what I do now is I'm usually back in Canada for September, kind of harvest season. And I uh, go to the farmer's market and I, get, I make it just basically, I make a huge tomato sauce with tons of meat in it. And then I have a dehydrator and I dehydrate everything. So... You know, basically what goes from a trunk, a, a full trunk of a car <laughs> of vegetables and meat and everything, I can fit in two of those 11-inch um, uh, Ziploc bags. Wow. And uh, so it reduces in space, I would say it's probably about 2%, 3% of the space that it took up originally as groceries. I mean, it's uh, – so dehydrating, I don't know how you could do it without dehydrating. You're just going to have to eat 
you know, other dried food, which isn't going to be nearly as good. So, but, but as Trevor said, I mean, we have our, our there's a great restaurant on the top of Phuket, um, Kuro Palme, right? Just near the, the, uh, super yacht, yacht haven place there that we stop. We always stop at, uh, Kojam, Kojam Seafood, right by the pier. There's that old wooden, uh, place. And whenever you stop for lunch, we always kind of time our stops for lunch. We have a massive, uh, seafood lunch. Then we get food to go. And, uh, you know, so at nighttime, we have another seafood dinner at nighttime. But for the most part, we're eating spaghetti, cooked in Canada four months before. Well, quickly, I mean, very quickly, can you tell us roughly, like, what is the route and what's the distance and that so people listening can kind of picture it a bit? Yeah. How many yeah. days does it take to afterward? It takes, I guess it's about, we generally take about 25 days paddling, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's about, depending on how, the first time we made it all the way, it was about 560 kilometers. And we were, we were kind of going pretty hard then. And we were doing about 30 kilometers a day, which for us is, you know, pretty good. And then last year we, we stopped a bit. Based, so actually backing up, sorry, you asked about the route. So we started Kopayam. We come down the Renong coast, which is really the, the wildest, most beautiful coast. Completely untouched, really. Just, there's just, you know, there's no, there's no tourism. Renong is really an incredibly special province. So we come down the Renong pro, uh, coast until you get to Kora. And that Kora, you can kind of either come behind, where the, the, you know, the Dugong population is, sort of uh, like Kuraburi there, or you can go on the outside. And then you go past Kopatong. And so we have gone on the outside of Kopatong, but we've also, there is a massive, intricate, uh, uh, mangrove system behind Kopatong. So you come down through there, out, and then right, you come out and you go past Kokokau, uh, past Kaolak, and then down that long, long stretch from Kaolak to the north of Phuket, the, and then across. So we make a left. So there's that one big section straight from, from Renong to Phuket. Then you hang a left and you go, you know, along the north coast of Phuket under the bridge. And you just, you go across the, the bay, you know, like Kohong and all those famous places in Krabi. And then um, uh, end up at Krabi. And then normally at Krabi, we take a couple days, take our boats apart. We, we buy um, uh, pasta and we, uh, you know, we just buy our snacks and stuff like that and our breakfast stuff. And then from Krabi, it's just straight south, Kosu, uh, Siboya. Um, you know, down to Kolanta, and then we come we come between the two Lanta islands. There's the big one, and then the you know, and there's that channel between. So we cut, we hang a left there. We go across that big bay at Kolanta, which is a you know probably the largest, longest crossing of our trip. And then just straight down the coast, you know, down the coast of Trang, uh, into then you're into Tun. Then if uh, the first year we made it to to Rotel, but last year we couldn't go out because it was just too windy for days and days. It was just killer wind. So that's, you know, that's the route. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I can't quite envision it, but uh, well, I can envision it, but I can't envision myself doing it, although I love paddling. You told me in a, an email when we were preparing for this that there's sort of three big factors that affect the whole planning and execution, tide, swell, and wind. Can you tell us about how those three factors factor in i mean you know i get all this stuff because luckily like i say i'm paddling with tim who's a surfer and an ocean guy and you know he spent his whole life on the ocean so 
I feel safe. Otherwise, I wouldn't really feel safe for the whole thing. So the first thing, like when you're out in the ocean, there's three kind of things coming at you. There's the swell, which is just that kind of rhythm of the ocean, those big waves that are starting in the southern, you know, by Antarctica or whatever and coming up, just taking days. And that's what the surfers are always watching, the, you know, the swell charts because that's what's bringing in those huge breakers. Then you have the wind and then you have the tides. So obviously some days they're all going against you, which you might as well just pull over. Uh, some days they kind of cancel each other out and then some days uh, they work with you. So that's why my buddy Tim's really good at reading tide charts. And so some days we can double our, our, our speed just by getting going at the you know, right time of day to catch the tides. So you have the, the tides. Um, so, you know, as I, as I mentioned to you in that email, there's three kind of, like those three sections. There's the Renong to Phuket, which you're just dealing with swell. And that, to me, is the most dangerous. That's the scary stuff. It's, it's when you got to get into shore, and they're those huge breakers. Okay. You know? And that's, uh, that's, the, that's the, the only really dangerous thing are those huge breakers on the beach. Um, and so then when you make the left... And then you're going straight, we go straight east for a few days. And at that point, you're into the wind because it's a prevailing offshore easterly breeze. You know, Thailand gets that, you know, the West Coast gets that prevailing easterly. So we're a few days just paddling into the wind. And it's, you know, that's when really, that's a mind game. It's really hard. The wind is hard and it messes with your head, but you can do it. So you just got to like hunker down and do it. And then when you make, when you get to Krabi and, and you'll go across the last going across that Al Krabi, you know, the big bay at Kr Krabi, when you hang a right and start going south again, then you're dealing with the tides because that's when you were getting into massive tidal flats. So depending on when you land or when you take off, sometimes you got to walk, you know, not quite a kilometer, but 800 meters to take your boat out and then you take all your stuff. So two or three trips and depending on when the water's coming up or going out, you can, you know, it's, it's, it's quite tricky. Uh, the sandbars. So, because um, once you get down to Colanta, there's massive sandbars out there. Like, you just got to spend a lot of time in the morning walking all your stuff out to the edge, out to get back to the ocean. Yeah, I'm sure. I, when, when you were talking about the coast earlier, and I know we're going to have to put a map up for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with the west coast of Thailand, but there certainly are some really shallow shelves off the coast. And uh, when you were talking about the tides, I was thinking about that because I've been stranded on, on, in a boat on some of those uh, muddy, shallow areas of, of Ranong. And uh, yeah, the entire coast of, of Thailand has some pretty shallow areas where I imagine it must be tough and mucky to walk across to get your stuff in and out. Yep. Yeah, and you know, it's all about the tide charts. I mean, as again, as I learned from, from Tim, you know, you just you just live and die by your tide charts. It doesn't always work out in your favor. Sometimes it's just like at four o'clock, it's uh, low tide. And so you're getting, you get it in, and there's nothing you can do. You just got to deal with it. But, you know, you've got to wade through muck. And, uh, but we're, it's pretty good. It's not, it's not too bad. There's only like a few places where it really gets mucky. But, but generally... Uh, it's sand and not mud. Are you ever paddling at night, Ian, to take advantage of tides? No way. No, no. But, you know, hardcore. I'm not a hardcore kayaker. I mean, this sounds pretty hardcore, but it's in terms of what long-distance kayakers do, this is like weekender stuff, what we're doing. Like those those people, they'll paddle like for, for 24 hours um, to take advantage of tides and when there's no landing spots and uh, 
So no, we're not ca- working out kayaking. I mean, sometimes we'll push it for an extra hour. We'll, you know, we like to get off the water by four or four thirty because you know it's it's dark by six thirty, six forty five. The mosquitoes are out. So by the time you make your camp, uh, get some food in you, and um, you know that's that's all the time you have. So, uh, but sometimes yeah, we push it a little bit, push an extra hour. We've done days where we've done over forty kilometers, which you know for me as somebody who doesn't kayak all the time that's a pretty good day in the ocean with a loaded kayak but um you know generally kind of a yeah seven eight hour day something like that so when you're pulling up to some of these beaches maybe uh, you're going to show up at a place that you, you hadn't kayaked to before what's the reaction of some of the local people when they see you trudging across the sandbar with uh, your foldable kayak well mostly we're dealing with the you know the chalpanmol the, the the thai fishermen it's a uh, muslim fishing villages and they are just they couldn't be nicer because we're we've arrived by water and they're water people and so we they love us you know and they want to know everything and and so uh they're a little surprised and uh generally i don't tell people here how much my kayak costs because it's just sort of whack but i always tell the fishermen you know exactly how much it costs and they're they're always like yeah that kayak's worth that much you know because they look at it they know i mean these guys know uh, ocean stuff. So then after you show up, the, if you're fortunate enough to, to grab a shower, then you just sling your uh, travel hammock up there between some trees and, and crash out on the beach? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what we do. So you, you talked a bit about food, Ian, but what, what are you doing for water? Because I mean, I, I've paddled in the hot heat in Thailand and I mean, you must need to go through a lot of water. So I'm wondering how, where you're getting it all from each and every day. Um, yeah, water is... Uh, we always joke with the fishermen that it's like we call it naman kayak. You know, it's like kayak gasoline, and we don't have you know water. There's you can't you you can't go. It's it's a consideration, but it's not a huge. Basically, we use those uh, uh, MSR, I guess, uh, dromedaries. They're these kind of uh, soft but incredibly well made, tough kind of bladder things that mold into any shape. And so we we each carry about twenty mm-hmm. liters of water, and um, you know everything from Sometimes we stay at these national parks where they'll have water coming out of a spigot out of the out of the ocean out of, out of the mountains. Yeah. You know, there's a bamboo yeah. spigot and, and they just have they have safe water, so we fill up there. Um, normally people will help us get one of those, you know, the big twenty liter they're like there's like fifty baht, right? Those big things and or those whatever those large bottles are. So we get those and uh, we're going through about uh, about six liters a day. So that's for our water out there in the ocean. That's like for two guys. So, and our cooking and then, you know, coffee in the morning. So yeah, water's consideration, but it's not that bad here because you're going through so many, like the worst case scenario is that we've got to get to some village and then buy those little five bot mm-hmm. bottles, you know, and then fill up with those things. And, uh, cause then it's just a lot of plastic. We try and, you know, avoid using all this plastic, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. So it's wow. just... We used to carry two days of water and now, or two or three days of water. Now we just carry about almost five. We carry five days. That's a lot of weight on your boat. How about like camera gear and stuff? Uh, We know that you're a photographer. So uh, is there any cool things to see or shoot along the way? I guess there probably, there would be, but you know, my first trip, you know, I bought one of the underwater housing and I was using a kind of a mic, one of those, the new uh, micro four third systems. And I've tried it. There is stuff to shoot, but not really. And uh, 
the light is only really great for a very short time. And, and during that time, the last thing you're doing is photography. You're, you know, it's either morning or late afternoon, you're getting out to sea or you're coming in from sea. So I've always, you know, I just thought that when I started kayaking that I was going to be shooting it all the time. And uh, I've kind of almost given up on the photography thing, I got to say. There is stuff to shoot. And I would love to do it one time and maybe spend about three times. I'd spend three months instead of a month and just stay in all these villages. And I mean, because we're staying in villages and a rubber plantations on a busted down old resorts that are have been empty for 20 years, but there's one old Burmese guy living there with a cat or something. I mean, it'd be kind of interesting to do, because I'm a people photographer, I'd actually at some point like to go down the coast and just shoot the people because it's pretty cool. And the people are amazing. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's the long answer to to your question. I mean, I just don't really shoot that much. So if I mean, I've done just you know a day of kayaking here, not even a full day really, but I enjoy it. But for someone who's interested in doing a bit longer of a kayak trip, let's say even a handful of days unsupported, where what's the starting point? Where do you recommend people go for information? How can someone just sort of get the skills down? Yeah, it's a tricky one here. I mean. The most spectacular coast is the Renan coast, but you can't kayak it if you haven't kayaked because, you know, you get surf landings. Um, you've got Panga Bay, which is obviously gorgeous. Very, very few places to camp in Panga Bay. Very few places to camp. So there we tend to use the um, the whole that, uh, you know, in Thailand they call it the Utian Hang Chat, the, the whole national park system. They have a great they have a great system and they have a few little offices that are kind of, so we know where all those, we have the good charts. So we know where the little offices are, where they've never had anybody stay. So you can use those. So if you're going to do, I would say that would probably be one to do, would be Alpanga, but, but, you know, research it first or just go and stay at one place. I would basically, what I would recommend is, uh, because the camping thing just, it ups the money you got. It's really, you know, a whole other deal. I would go and just ingratiate yourself at one of those national park offices because they've never had anybody camp there. Seriously. They have like millions of people going through, literally millions of people going through that bay. And we're like the only people ever to camp at those places, like the only ones. And so um, hmm. you could just go and say, look, I'm going to be here for a few days and go and do day trips. I think that would be the thing to do in, in – uh, I forget. Just south of James Bond Island, there's the big, there's the main park thing there. Kohong, Ka- not Kohong, no. Um, uh, uh, west, west, quite west of Kohong. Um, I can let you know. You can put it in the notes. And, sure, and, sure. Um, they're really nice there, and they got a good tie-offs for the kayaks and everything. And I would just do day trips because you could just for one day go north, one day go south, one day go east, one day go west. You could have a killer five, six day camp kayaking trip without the the hassles of of uh, you know uh, resupply. The other option would be to go to um, deep south, and you know if you have some paddling skills, you could go out to uh, uh, oh, what's is it Andong? What's the the national park there north of Lipe? There's there's a bunch of islands there. That looks. I think that will probably be our next trip because that's killer out there, and you could have a great one week out there and not really expose yourself to anything too nasty. And it uh, okay. looks like great beaches and stuff. Um, you could start at the south or, you know, kind of around Krabi and kayak down that coast. 
The only thing is when you get to Colanta, you have a big crossing, you know, 16, 18 kilometers to get to the to the to the mainland, and we've been hammered both times there with like very bad weather doing that crossing, like complete whiteout rain for hours. And so you know, you know, you have your GPS, you just keep paddling, you don't worry about it. But for somebody who hadn't done it before, that would freak them out. Cool. Well, what's the next uh, dream kayaking trip in the region or Southeast Asia? Well, Tim's been checking out some. Uh, some uh, charts of the Philip. I mean, the Philippines is obviously a paddling paradise. I mean, you look at Thailand and look how well Thailand's done with its beaches over the last, you know, 30 whatever years. And it's, there's no doubt that it's beautiful. And there's some, I mean, we get to stay on these islands and on these beaches that have nobody. I mean, we're on 10 mile beaches that have no people on them. But then you look at the Philippines and my God, they've got like thousands of islands and like Really, you know, the turquoise lagoons with the palm trees over the lagoons. You don't see that in Thailand, really. You see it in the postcards, but I've never seen it in my two and a half times down the, the coast like you see it in the Philippines. So Philippines is always a good one. There's the Raja Ampat group there, you know, off of, um, which would be an amazing, hard to get to, off of uh, Irian Jaya, you know, off the northwest coast of Irian Jaya, the Raja Ampats. That's, we talked about that one, but you know, when you live here and the kayaking here is so good and the people are so amazing and uh, there's still stuff to do here, you know? And the, and we've also looked at, because on the, I haven't really checked it out. I kind of Google map it, but uh, coming down the, your uh, east coast of Malaysia, it looks pretty, those islands look pretty killer out there too. So that's another option at some point. Yeah, that would be a nice one because I actually camped. I camped down the east coast of Malaysia when I was in my twenties, just uh, kind of taking local buses and camping wherever I, I saw a nice beach. And uh, that that coast has some spectacular beaches and, oh, and beautiful it, scenery. Is it is it crowded? Is that or is there like no? There's there's very few okay. people on the beaches along that coast. Okay, well maybe that's so the next I, one. I, I, yeah, I think it would be pretty easy. Cool. I don't know if I'd use the word easy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all, uh, yeah, it's all relative. Right. I mean, like I say, uh, for me, this is, you know, it seems like a big thing, but for these hardcore long distance kayakers, it's nothing. I mean, I mentioned to you, I have a, uh, you know, she's sort of a Facebook friend, but this woman, Sandy Robson right now, who is recreating Oscar Specks, uh, the most epic kayak trip of all time in the 1930s, he kayaked from uh, Germany to Australia. And Sandy is actually recreating that trip in chunks. I think she's on a third chunk of it right now, but she's at the, the Bangladesh-Burma border right now. So, I mean, she'll go through, she'll blow through Thailand in 12 or 14 days or something like that, you know? Like, these people can do, like, 50, 60 kilometers a day every day for months on end. Let's put it that way. But it's an amazing thing to do. And, like, the kayak thing here, it hasn't even started yet. It feels like it's decades away from even starting well you've uh, no pun intended but you've wet my appetite to try something for a multi-day journey so thanks so much for making time for us ian and sharing uh, some of your hobby and your passion with us uh thanks you guys i appreciate uh, the interest and uh i'm easy to contact you know just google uh, you'll have the links up on your thing i guess but i'm totally open to sharing information uh campsites you know we have campsites every 15 kilometers down the entire coast now and um, we know people and happy to share that info with anybody who's serious, you know, who's actually a kayaker. Um, uh, we're happy to share that information with them. 
Cool. Well, we'll post the links and photos and we'll uh, put together a Google map with maybe a bit of your help. So anyone listening, uh, just go to our website and you can get all that. So thanks again, Ian. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, guys. Good luck. Hey, so Scott, that was a pretty cool interview. Um, I, I like the fact that although uh, he's a photographer, he said that he doesn't really focus on photography for his kayak trips. I, I like the fact that uh, it's just a passionate hobby that he has. Yeah, you know, most of the people we interview on this show tend to be, you know, experts in whatever they're doing. It just happened that we know that Ian's done a couple long kayaking trips and we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. So again, this isn't, it's not like he's a kayaking instructor. He's enjoyed doing it. I think he said he only started in 2007. So it's eight years and it didn't sound like he'd been doing it a super long time before he headed off on one of these trips. So it kind of, in a certain sense, it, it reminds you that it's never too late to, to try something wild or to take up a new hobby. Yeah, that and the fact that, uh, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time now uh, along that west coast of Thailand. And although there are some really touristy areas, uh, the, the, a lot of that coast, particularly Renong, and then when you get farther south, uh, Trong and Satun, that, that coastline is spectacularly beautiful and, and not yet developed. And on a kayak would be the perfect way to explore it. Yeah, you know, it got me really excited because, you know, I've never been to Koh Bayam or Renong, but I've been to, you know, Phuket and Pangabe and Gabi, and I've been out to Koh Lipe and that. But you realize when I was thinking about the map is I've only been to like little dots along that coast and then there's all that space in between. And you think, like you said, like there's no one out there. Like there's a few people here and there, but like everyone talks about seeing somewhere off the beaten path and that like, man, you're literally going places that probably, you know, less than a few hundred tourists have ever been. Yeah, and, and even when he was talking about uh, the national park system within Pangape, yeah, there's tons of day trip boats going out there snorkeling and kayaking, but he's right. If, if you took the, the effort to talk to some of these park people about crashing or camping on, on some of those beaches, that would be a, a spectacular way to do some stargazing or moonlight swimming and kayaking, and, and it's just beautiful out there. Yeah, another thing I thought was pretty cool is, you know, I've, I've done a fair bit of trekking in Nepal and I mountain bike and maybe I'm just getting old, but I always think about safety. And I mean, he clearly understood that, you know, while it's beautiful and all that, that there you, you've got a plan and there's no substitute for knowledge and safety. And that he basically said, like, if it wasn't for being with his buddy, who's kind of the water expert and knows how to read all this stuff, he wouldn't do it. So while it's fun and you can go out and do it, I also appreciated that he, he really seemed to have respect for the ocean and proper planning. Yeah, and, and this isn't something I can imagine too many people uh, without any experience would go out and do on their own. But at the same time, he made a good point that once you get inside that Panga Bay and go south from there, and you, if you stay close to shore, it's, it's a pretty leisurely uh, kayak, relatively speaking, of course. Yeah, although I've been out that way a little bit and had some pretty crazy storms creep up quick but either way pretty pretty inspirational i like it in that sense it's it's an inspirational travel story it makes me want to think about doing something big again because i haven't done anything big in a while so maybe i got a plot and plan and do something within the next couple of years yeah i was just gonna say the next couple of years because we still have uh motorcycle adventure and a couple of other surfing trips and whatnot uh, on the schedule for our travels uh, both separately and together but hopefully we'll get out there in a kayak and uh, and we can come back and do another episode together about that experience yeah absolutely so uh, from Kuala Lumpur Malaysia this is Scott Coates saying thanks so much for joining us we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Talk Travel Asia Trevor take us out of this thing 
Yep. Thanks, uh, Ian. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back with you in around two weeks for our next episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Portland?